Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. I am your host, Chris Swick, and on this podcast, we talk about mental health, addictions, eating disorders, ADHD, and really anything anyone's afraid to talk about, we talk about it on this show today. I believe everyone's story is valuable at the end of the day. It does not matter what walk of life you come from. We're all welcome on this platform. You can find the show over on YouTube. From the depths of darkness to the light of success, hit that subscribe button, turn on those notifications. You can also find me over on Instagram at depths of dark side and find me on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts in audio format, you can find me there. But with no further ado, I'd love to introduce to you my next guest. I got Eurasia Duhame. You want to take it away and let them know a little bit about you and what you're all about, Eurasia? Sure, Chris. Thank you for that introduction. I am a personal trainer. I used to be in vet med. I've since just branched out on my own doing some dog walking on the side and I launched a fitness app. And I also just released a second publication. It's called A Girl with a Snake, Surviving the Narcissist. And that is what I'm doing now. So trying to focus on that, trying to focus on healing. And my life is an open book. I'm Happy to be on here and to share and chat and hopefully somebody learns something from my experiences. Yeah, let's break right into that. What is that book all about? <laughs> so I have a copy right here. So don't be fooled by the name. A lot of people are like, where'd the name come from? It's actually one of my favorite tarot cards, to be completely honest. Girl with a Snake is one of those tarot message cards that explains the relationship between an empath and a narcissist. And that's a lot of what this book is about about the lessons I've learned through surviving narcissistic abuse. And it's my actual journal that I kept through my recovery. And with every entry, I wrote three lessons that I think are really valuable from the journal that I learned when I went back and reread it and reflected. And some of them are like, wow, this is a really valuable lesson. And some of them were like, whoo, I was really unhealed there. You know what I mean? It's, it's really important for me that I share this because I was very lucky to be provided with the therapy and the recovery that I needed to get through this kind of relationship. And not everybody has that opportunity. Not everybody's even able to get out of a relationship like that. Not everybody's able to afford that kind of therapy. I'm a big advocate for just sharing everything that I learn so that people can learn and heal from it. That's amazing. And and it's very important. If I'm not, it's not for everyone, but writing things down, pen to paper, I find, and I don't do it all the time, but I should do it more. It really helps you get that out there if you have no one to talk to as well, I find. So it's amazing that you were able to turn it into a book for people to read and help them help others as well. So that's amazing, Eurasia. Thanks. And you know what? Writing is journal. I did not value journaling as much as I, and I still like skip a few nights. I try to journal every night, but I find journaling is important, not just to get everything out, but also to go back and to reflect. I had to read my journal a whole bunch of times while I was editing this book. And with every time I was like, oh, there's something new that I learned there. Oh, there's something new that I learned there. And it can be really painful to go back and reflect on certain things. But at the same time, that's where you learn. That's where you grow. That's where you figure out how not to make the same mistake over again. (laughs) You know what I mean? Some of us still do. But at least you have a different perspective and you can reflect a little bit when you're ready. It's so true. And if you're not failing, you're not learning. Exactly. (laughs) If you're not doing something wrong and you think you're doing everything right, you're wrong. (laughs) You're just wrong. (laughs) So can you share your understanding of CPTSD or for people that don't know what that is, that's complex post-traumatic stress disorder and how it differs from other forms of trauma related disorders and how does it manifest in individuals who have experienced generational trauma? Oh gosh, this is a complicated one. So CPTSD is, so PTSD is from, it can be from really acute incidences. So an accident or acute repeated short-term events like you for instance the most common example is people go to war and then they have shell shock right that's one that we refer to a lot when we think of ptsd as veterans or even um trauma from workplace things like that and trauma trauma so i don't want anybody to think oh trauma has to be vague for it to be valid trauma it can be like the smallest little thing 
And depending on who you are as an individual, it can affect your entire life. So trauma is trauma. It doesn't matter if you feel like it's not valid, it still is. But CPTSD is very complex, it's in the name, but it is a series of repeated abusive patterns throughout an extended period of time. So when you mentioned generational trauma, that's exactly what it is in a sense too, for a lot of people. And it can be something that you don't even realize is traumatic, that you think is perfectly normal, but it's actually created or diverged you from the way that you should react to things, um, which then causes trauma later in life. For instance, if you have a parent who is not affectionate and you're somebody that needs that kind of affection from your parent in order to thrive or feel accomplished or things like that. Over time, being invalidated by a parent over and over again will create insecurities, will create hyperfixations, will create seeking behaviors, people pleasing. For instance, like a woman might go out and find, and this is like that stereotypical daddy issue, but they'll go out and they'll find somebody who mimics that kind of person because in their ingrained self, they believe this is what this kind of relationship dynamic should look like because this is what I'm used to growing up. This is what I've seen in my family. So I'm going to go search for that. And without even knowing it, you might search for somebody who's emotionally unavailable, who may be prone to outbursts because that's what you think is normal. That's what you've grown up believing was safe and something that could be unsafe. You might be like, Ooh, that's weird. And then stems further issues from that, right? So then let's say that's what you're going for. And you're always going for people who are emotionally unavailable and you're not getting what you need. And then you're internalizing that and you're fixated on doing better. And then you end up doing things that like coping mechanisms that are unhealthy and it just spurs from there. And so really understanding what is healthy and normal versus what is ingrained in you and conditioned is really important to be able to break those habits. So for instance, I have CPTSD, no idea what it was until like a few years ago when I was going through therapy and I was like, oh my gosh, now everything makes sense. Why I did these things, why I reacted that way, why I fell for this, why I believed this, why I kept giving those chances to the wrong people. Like I was seeking, I was trying to validate. I, I thought that growing up love was earned. So I'm always trying to prove myself. And that is detrimental to your relationships and your mental health. Generational trauma is something that I feel like our generation is really taking a hold of and really like being, we're going to break this. This is not okay. This is not normal. We're not passing this on. We need healthy relationships and healthy coping mechanisms. And we're not just like burying things deep down inside anymore. You know what I mean? We're talking about it and we're addressing it and we're fixing ourselves, which is hard. That, that, that's amazing to hear that you were able to figure those things out through therapy. <laughs> And for myself as well, like going through therapy and listening to podcasts or reading books, it's like, that's me. Or I was like, I really see that those things that happened to me, this is why these things are happening and those types of things. So what was it like for you with your CPTSD? What caused that? Was it something to do with your immediate family, the people you were around growing up? It had a lot to do with, I think, a combination of things. My parents are wonderful. I love them to death. I have a great relationship with them, but they were raised in different generations, right? My, my father is very hard European, French, Catholic. My mother is, she came from Malaysia. So very traditional kind of gender roles, if you will. And my dad went through a lot of trauma in his youth, a lot of trauma. And so did my mother. She lost a parent very young. She was the youngest. She was, everybody just kind of gave her and did, took care of her and no cares in the world when she was over there. And my father was heavily bullied and, and heavily traumatized as a youth, right? And uh, he was less inclined to show love in the way that my, myself needed it. He would, his was, he would give us stuff. He would buy us things. He would pay for stuff, but my inner child didn't need love that way. It needed love in a different way. It needed affection, it needed validation. It needed that kind of thing, right? So it it's not like it was intentional that I grew up with trauma that I had to fix, but they did the best they can with the tools they had, but they didn't have the best tools. So I grew up believing that love had to be earned, that you don't just 
because my dad was very quiet in the sense of he did praise us very much, that kind of thing. So I was always seeking it from him. Right. And I was always doing things like, look, are you proud of me? Look, am I good? Look at it. And so when I started looking for relationships, that's the kind of, the kind of person that I was, I felt safe with and comfortable with. And that's what I went out looking for. The ones who were very quiet in their affection, the ones that you needed to show that you were worthy of love. And when that started slipping, then you would work harder to get it. And you would put yourself in positions that were maybe like compromising in order to just retain what bare minimum that you're getting. And that those are the guys that I dated. And looking back now, most of my relationships were incredibly toxic because I had zero boundaries. I was a people pleaser. I thought love had to be earned. And so I consistently sought validation and I ended up going for the wrong types of individuals because the types of individuals that accepted that behavior just happened to be incredibly toxic. And so I ended up going from one not so good relationship to an even worse, to an even worse, to an even worse, to an even worse. Until finally I met (laughs) one of my ex-boyfriends who is a narcissist and displays very like psychopathic traits. And I got into it and I jumped headfirst into it. I was like this, I was interested in this guy for a couple of years. And finally he gave me the time of day and I was like, oh my God, finally I earned it. Right. Finally earned this guy's affection. And I went headfirst, got a puppy. He started telling me, give up your apartment, move in with me, stop working. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of it. But I was in school and I was like, cool. You know what I mean? Finally, I found somebody that I can vibe with that wants to help that it appreciates that I'm in school. And it was a trap that once I got into, I couldn't get out of. And so I had to heal myself in order to not continue these patterns because I was the reason for all of these issues because I accepted all of these people in my life. And then it's sometimes it's hard. It doesn't matter if it's an addict or whatever the case may be, but you have to accept that you are the problem or that it's not everyone else is the problem. And until I could do that myself as well, I was never going to help myself get out of my deep rooted addiction issues and stuff like that. But until I could admit that I was the problem and no, not everyone else was, then things started happening. Things started getting better. Things started moving in the right direction and those types of and things. Making and making sense. <laughs> exactly. For sure. Well, I appreciate you being vulnerable there and sharing that part of your life with us because it that, that gives us a little insight as to where you've come from and where you are today, Eurasia. So that kudos to you for sharing that and be being vulnerable to do that. I think there's a real strength in vulnerability and in community. And I feel that if people understood, like I felt really alone through this, that relationship and I wasn't, but I I didn't know, like before this, I didn't know that narcissistic abuse was even a thing. Like I was what 2018, I was like narcissistic abuse. What is that? Like, that's what I went through. Like I didn't understand. And so I read everything and I listened to everything and I found community. And I feel like that's super important because it's really easy to feel isolated or to isolate yourself when you're in that kind of situation. And so I just wanted to be able to share and I am an open book and I tried to just share my own story, not the people who are involved in it, but I just, I feel like it's really necessary for people to be able to relate and just feel like they're not alone. And that feeling like you're not alone is the very first step to be able to come out of your situation. For sure. And that's the main thing though, to, for anyone going through anything in life is to reach out for that help and know that you're not alone in this fight or whatever battle or demons you're going through or that you have in you. You're not alone though. Like you don't have to do this alone either, everyone. And I think we're so used to being like when you grew up with trauma or you grew up with, if you're hyper independent, you're so used to being like, I got this. I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want people to think I'm weak. Like I'm okay. But masking is very dangerous because it affects every relationship you're going to be in. And that's something that I learned. I recently diagnosed with ADHD, which is another issue that was in my relationships. And again, 
me being the issue, I was treating anxiety and OCD for since I was 12. I was diagnosed with OCD, depression, and anxiety at 12 years old. I've been medicating since. I've been on different combinations, different drugs, different doses. I've seen psychiatrists, psychologists, hypnotherapists. And now at 38, I re-diagnosed with ADHD. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, everything is starting to make a lot of sense now. You know what I mean? And that was also a reason why I ended up in, in situations that I ended up in. I was taking medication that was slowing my brain when I needed to be speeding it up in order to be able to focus and think clearly and manage my emotions. Like ADHD in women is very different than in men. And it's, it comes out as like major mood disorders, inability to control your emotions. Or when you feel something, you feel like physically to the point where it's actually very painful. If you're sad, if you're depressed, you feel it like within your body and that can be very difficult to manage. Some people turn to substances because they just want to numb themselves. Just a lot of people do, but it's just learning that I now have ADHD, what I'm dealing with, how to treat it, and the right ways to manage myself is super important because that played a large role in my relationships as well. Yeah, that played a large role in my last relationship, right? Not this guy, but the one after it, um, which is another test. The other test is the relationship you enter after the one that you've been in that was so severely abusive. I think that is the real test to your healing. I, I did all the healing. I, you're never fully healed. It's a lifelong process always, but I did enough that I thought, okay, I'm doing good. I'm okay. And you know, that's when I received a whole bunch of abundance, right? I, received the relationship of my dream and the business was growing and we bought a house. And then what was really difficult was doing this in a pandemic where you are then disconnected from your people. And when you have trauma, you're in a lockdown, trying to run a shutdown small business, trying to work in a vet clinic, everything compounds and, it, and you will revert back to the unhealed version of yourself if you're not careful. And that's one thing that I want people to understand about recovery is recovery, whether you're dealing with substances, whether you're dealing with trauma, whether you're dealing with abuse, if you don't continue your recovery, you will revert back and that will affect every aspect of your life. And I feel like that's what happened to me too, which is a big life lesson where I got into the pandemic and I thought I was good. I got everything that I ever wanted literally. And then I stopped working on myself and I got too tired and too stressed out. And my days were too long. I didn't have time. I wasn't seeing my therapist and I reverted back. And then everything God was like, Oh, no, sorry. You don't deserve this right now. We're going to take it back. You're going to do your work. And when you show us again, that you're committed to yourself, we're going to give it back. <laughs> but until then, this is what you get. And that's where I am right now. And I, I realized that since publishing the book, how much more growth I've needed to do and how much more growth I've actually done. And that's really difficult as well, like coming out of that. So it's not just the abusive relationship that you're dealing with. It's the ones that come afterwards that you're like, oh my gosh. I love how you point out that it's the work's never done because it really isn't. The healing process is never done. And if you sit back and let it go on idle or become complacent, is when, you know, yes. those things start creeping up, those old character traits of yourself, reverting back to the way you were and those types of things. You got to always stay on top of these things and not become complacent because when you come, and, become and that was complacent. Really hard. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, when you become complacent, it, it always goes south very quick, I find. I've been in, oh, in and out of recovery for many years, coming up on four years clean and sober myself, but. I didn't wow, get here this far without, without putting in the work either. And you yeah. got to stay on top of that. You don't revert back to your old ways, calling old friends and those types of things as it never works out. And it's really easy to revert back, especially when you're, we were in a pandemic, we were locked down. We didn't have that community. It, it wasn't like he had things that he was working on that halted because of the pandemic and same with me. Right. And so it was two people who were trying to work on their healing in the middle of the most stressful time <laughs> with so many other things compounded on it. 
And the first thing to go is always your needs, right? When you're in a situation that's super stressful and you have so much on your plate, it's very easy to put yourself last, especially if you're a people pleaser or you've grown up with loose, <clears throat> excuse me, boundaries or a lack of boundaries. And bless those people who have hard boundaries and hold them really tight to their heart because I am one of those people that, you know, tends to like, yeah, I'll help you. Yeah, I'll do, yeah, no problem. No. And then all of a sudden at the end of the day, it's like midnight and I haven't you know, had time a minute to think. And then the next day I'm waking up, I'm irritable. You know what I mean? And then I'm not regulating my emotions and I'm lashing out the people that I care about. And then they're going through things and then they need to deal. So it's, and recovery isn't just like a lot of people, when they think recovery, they just think AA program, NA program, things like that. Recovery is from everything that has caused you some kind of trauma. And if you don't focus on working hard to be the person that you're envisioning yourself to be, you're going to revert back to the person that got you into all of those issues. And I feel like the past three years have been really difficult for a lot of people, really eye-opening for a lot of people, especially people who work through trauma, because it wasn't just being stuck in your head and locked in your house. It was the collective trauma from the entire world that was affecting everybody. And that's what happened to me. I just shut myself down and I just tried to do everything for everybody and I did nothing for myself. And that's a very hard lesson because what then mm -hmm. happened was I, there's always like a root to every issue. And I felt like I was the root in this particular situation. You know what I mean? I did not, because I was so irritable and I didn't know what I was dealing with. I didn't know I had ADHD. I, I was in the middle of a pandemic. I was working 13 hours a day. I, no excuse, but just reasons, but I would come home and I wouldn't be creating a safe place for other people to feel safe, to heal. You know what I mean? And so now it is a big lesson in continuously healing. And when you do get what you, what source or God or whoever you believe in is giving to you, don't get complacent. And I feel like I learned my lessons the hard way every single time. <laughs> and so this is what this is, but you know what? I, everything happens in its own divine timing. And I just, this is something that I needed to learn at this time, at this moment, at this age. And I think it was because I needed to also share that with people that it's not just recovery from the relationship, your abusive relationship you need to get through. It's your personal self-recovery every single day in order to maintain the new relationships that you've been gifted because you've done your healing. It's so true though. You have to really stay on top of that and be vigilant of your surroundings and the people you put yourself around and you know what you give out to the world and stuff like that sometimes it might be oversharing sometimes it might be just having those uh, getting angry as an ADHD or those types of things we have all so many different emotions as people with ADHD I have it myself as well so you know, just be <laughs> when you get irritated you feel that bubble up <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But, sure. And that's the hardest thing too. Like, you know what? And really understanding myself now that I understand what I'm dealing with. Like when I thought it was anxiety, I felt almost shame or guilt when I would get like overly irritated. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm like, I know it's irrational. I can't figure it out. I don't know why I'm so mad about this wet spoon and the sugar. I don't like, I know it's not, it's regular people wouldn't get so angry at this, but why am I? And I didn't. And I would try to regulate myself, but I'd feel it in my body. Like I said, like I would feel that anxiety just, just come to the surface. And it took so much energy to be like, you're being irrational right now. But, and then I'd have to work myself out of it. And on days where it wasn't a good day, I wouldn't have that moment to work myself out of it. And then I would lash out, you know what I mean? And so now that I know, okay, so this is why I get that irritated, work through it. Yes, you are being irrational, but at the same time, like, I understand the physiology of the emotions that come with people with ADHD and I can better understand myself. And then I'm also on the right medication now. I'm taking Vyvanse and it's been working really well. But the one thing with it is that I still think all the time. And, but in a way it's been helpful because I have within the past two, three weeks, I've been 
reflecting so much on my role in situations and seeing it more clearly and understanding what I need to do better because it's so easy to be, to play the victim role at all times, right? Oh, this person was awful and then said some things and hurt my feelings and the communication broke down and blah, blah, blah. And it's so easy to be like that person did this and this, but we all have a role. And sometimes you have to hold accountability and be like, you know what? Yeah, I was the root. It sucks to say it, but I was. And that's where the real healing comes in, I think. Yeah, when you, the real healing comes in when you own your actions, when you own your part in whatever role you took, instead of, like you said, playing the victim mindset or blaming others, they did this, they did that. Look inside and what did you do to cause them to do that? Those types of, you got to always take ownership for your role in the part, whatever the case may be. And for many years, you know, I blamed everyone else and didn't look within to say, hey, Chris, you are the problem again. It, it was me that was the problem, not everyone else. And until I could realize that, I was never going to heal. And that's a tough thing to admit, too, <laughs> especially when, you know, there's you think that you've done your healing and you've done your work and you're trying your the intent might be there. Like you might have the intent to help and to heal and to but the impact might be harmful. It's just like when you want to help. And my therapist said this to me, what gives you the right to think that you can impose your help onto someone else? And I was like, oh, that's true. And it, it was at this point where it was like, I want to help and I want to help this person get better. And I feel like this is the best way to do it. And in that moment, I have to take a step back and be like, I'm being a problem now because I'm telling you how I think you should be healing. And that goes against my healing and it just turns into like, right? So that, that was the biggest thing for me too, was realizing that everybody's journey is their own, that you can't take it all on. And that if you try to, you are becoming a seed of another rooted problem because you're causing stress for somebody who either doesn't want to do it or they make people please and do it. And then that causes resentment. And that was a hard lesson for me to learn with my previous relationship too, was manage your damn self and everything else will fall into place. But if you're not managing yourself, there's no sense to try to manage anything else. That's so true. You can't force help upon someone else. They have to want to accept it themselves. And even myself, my parents would, hey, you got to go get help. You got to help. But then when they finally realized we can only suggest things, you can't force someone to do anything in life. It doesn't matter what it is. If they don't want to do it, they're not going to want to do it. They want to have to do it themselves at the end of the day, people. You can't force yourself onto someone. You can't force them to get the help if they don't want it. They'll, when they're ready, they'll go get the help they want. Even with the best intentions, you still like, you may have the best, you may, it may be coming from a good place, but it may be harming the other person. Cause they're like, Oh my God, you know what I mean? Causing them more stress. And then that causes them to do things. So the one thing that I really try to do now is I manage myself so that I don't project. And sometimes I still do. I'm not going to lie. I have a lot of insecurities that I'm working through right now. I think we're all we all have insecurities that we're consistently working through, but trying to leave my home peaceful and in harmony every day really helps me be the best for other people. And so that's how I try to navigate my life. Everybody will grow in their own time. If they grow with you, beautiful. If they don't grow with you, that's okay. Maybe they'll come and meet you at some point, sometime, but the only person you can control is yourself, how you think, how you feel. And that is enough of a job to begin with. <laughs> that, that's a lot of energy yeah. right there. <laughs> healing is really difficult. And I don't think people realize like how exhausting healing really is. And people minimize how much rest they need while they're healing, while you're trying to settle your nervous system, trying to reprogram your brain, trying to settle your emotions. Like that's very difficult. And I don't think people give enough credit to individuals who are are doing that work because it's like a 24 hour job. Just I was having a talk with somebody the other day that I really admire who is sober. And I was like, I can't 
even fathom the amount of strength it takes to stay sober because I relapse to the unhealed version of myself often if I'm not checking myself. And I would consider in that scenario, like my unhealed version would be the same as like a substance for that person. You know what I mean? And how many times a day do I relapse and I just get irritable? And I'm like, could you imagine if somebody who was in the program was staying sober relapsed that many times a day? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's wild. And so I, I have a lot of respect for people who are staying committed to their recovery in the way that, you know, this individual does, because it takes a lot of strength to do that. And being conscious all the time of your actions and your thoughts and what might tip you over, what might not, what situation do I go into? What should I pull myself back from? And that's also how I need to think of my recovery too, right? Is this going to trigger me to relapse? Even though it may be subtle, it may just be me being irritable. It's still very detrimental to other people. So that's something that I have to keep in mind all the time and have to fight every day. And one day I will wake up not tired, but <laughs> in the meantime, I'm just consistently working on myself. And that's amazing. And that's all you can do is consistently work on yourself. And like we've said many times, things will fall into place if you stay consistent in your recovery from whatever it is, people, and whether it's addiction to drugs or alcohol, eating disorders, trauma, those types of things and stuff like that. So what are some effective and therapeutic techniques or strategies you could recommend for individuals who have experienced CPTSD and are seeking to heal from toxic relationships and the generational trauma that's come below them? Ooh, man. First, I want to make a very clear distinction because with narcissistic abuse everywhere right now, people talking about it everywhere, I feel like there is, like they're using the word like confetti, which minimizes the trauma that people have actually experienced, but also paints people in a light that they may not be in. For instance, you know, this, you're a narcissist. I hear a lot of people, oh, you're a narcissist. Oh, you're a narcissist. And you're a narcissist. And I just want to make sure that people understand there's a very big difference between a narcissist and a toxic person. A narcissist, it's a disorder. It's a, it's a disorder. It is a personality disorder. They have a significant deficiency in empathy. They're self-serving. They believe rules don't apply to them. They have grandiose personalities. They believe that they deserve special treatment from special people because they are special. Like it's a real disorder. Toxic people may appear narcissistic. And there's only a small percentage of people that actually have a narcissistic personality disorder too. Like I've heard it's that from a few therapists, yeah. but there's not like a huge yeah. percentage either because there'll be there people isn't. that throw it out and just say, you're a narcissist, you're a narcissist. But then you'll go and talk to a therapist like, no, you're really not a narcissist. There's a very small percentage of people that are. You're just toxic because you're unhealed. <laughs> <laughs> but, and that's the thing, right? And also narcissism gets underdiagnosed because narcissists, people with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, don't see anything wrong with them traditionally. They don't believe they have a problem. So they will not seek help or get diagnosed, which is why statistically it's underdiagnosed. But there's so many more out there than there's covert narcissists. There's overt narcissists. There's social workers. They're doctors. They're librarians. They're on the parent teacher board. They're police officers. I've worked with clinical trauma counselors who were narcissistic. So it's, they're everywhere. But there's a difference. If you're toxic and you're unhealed and you've been taught or conditioned to believe that this is normal, this is safe, and really it's not. You may be lashing out. You may be acting selfishly out of trauma, but that doesn't mean you're a narcissist. It means you have things you need to work on. You need to heal. Somebody who will sit there and be like, oh my God, is it me? Am I narcissistic? Am I the narcissist? We can determine at that point that they're probably not because they're self-reflecting and they're trying to figure it out. That's, that's the difference between an actual narcissist and somebody who's toxic and has a lot of healing to do. The one, one biggest thing, there's a lot of big, the biggest thing is get yourself into a recovery program. It, and if you can't 
there's a go to it if you can't go to a therapist or get counseling. There's a lot of programs out there where if you've gone through domestic abuse, they'll provide you with counseling, like up to 12 sessions or so to get you started. And then there's like a sliding scale, for instance, Horizon and Kitchener, um, they have a sliding scale. They also offer support for people who have been in domestic abusive relationships, but therapy is key because the issue is not the person you were with, even though they are an issue in and of themselves. The issue is why you were attracted to them, why you accepted them into your life and why you maintained that for so. And there's a lot of reasons, right? Some are a lot of times you're unable to leave. I was unable to leave. I had no options. I had zero options. And the only reason I was able to get out was he was arrested and had a restraining order. And that's the only way I was able to exit that relationship. So that's another thing. If you're still in it, and you're going through it, have a safety plan, be very careful. But if you're out of it, therapy is your best friend and not just narcissistic abuse recovery, but you need to dig deep and you need to address those childhood wounds that guaranteed you're going to have, because those are what directed you to that person in the first place. And that is where you missed all those red flags, right? You saw the red flag and you're like, that's safe. <laughs> And so you need to rewire your brain. And that takes a lot of work. And a lot of people think that if you go through a 12 week recovery course, you're good and you're golden. That's not the case because for me, I spent 37 years conditioned to be a certain way and to believe certain things that were safe or whatever the case may be. And that's a lot of years to go back and reprogram. And so you need help and you need guidance with that. And there were a lot of things that I didn't even realize I needed to work through until I got to therapy and talked myself into it. Um, and so that is key. And if you are struggling with childhood trauma or CPTSD or PTSD, EMDR therapy was life changing for me. And that's a therapy where you have it's like mine was a light therapy or my therapist does it with their fingers, but you have those rapid eye movements and that really helps to calm your nervous system where you can then adjust the issue. How does it make you feel? Start with how the negative feelings and then you go into this is how I want to feel. And you continue that process continuously until you feel like those affirmations are full and true. And that takes a lot of time. And that takes a lot of sessions, but those things are key for somebody to overcome. And those aren't the real base methods that you should be doing in order to overcome, not just the relationship you were in and the abuse that you're in, but you know, the reasons you were, you ended up into it. That's amazing. And thank you so much for sharing that Eurasia, you know, those little tips and what you should seek. Definitely agree with trauma is or not trauma therapy is huge i still go to therapy today me and my wife go to couples therapy we do individual still and like you said recovery from anything is a ongoing lifelong process it doesn't just end after 12 weeks or going to a treatment center for addiction to drugs or alcohol or your mental health or mental illness after you leave there, you got to put in the work that you were given. Because if you just drop, yeah. leave there and you decide, you know, I'm good. No, you're not. Okay. When you go to therapy, if your therapist gives you homework to go do it and implement those oh strategies gosh, yes. into your life and those types of things. I remember my therapist recently said, just go home and give your wife a hug. If she doesn't accept it, try again. You know what I mean? She will accept it. Those types of things. It doesn't matter what you're going through at home or out in the real world and stuff like that. But you you have to put in the work that you're given as well. It's not like you leave the therapist's office. Oh, I'm good for the week. I'll see you next week. But if you don't put yeah, in any of the work that they've given you, <laughs> if you put no right. work in that they've given you people, then there's no point in going to the therapy. You got to want to put in that work though, too, is what I'm saying. I know it's just performative at that point. You're like, I showed up for an hour. I'm good. I'm gone. And that is one thing that I talked about with my therapist too, because when I was healing, when I was out of that relationship, I am telling you, I was not heartbroken. I was broken. Like my last relationship, that's heartbreak. This relationship, that this narcissistic relationship, that's soul break. You know what I mean? Like I was, I didn't know who I was. I was a shell of a being after that. 
I walked into that relationship knowing exactly or thinking I knew exactly who I was and what I wanted and had a great job. I was going back to school. And by the end of that relationship, I lost half my hair. I was 90 pounds and I didn't even see any of this happening. And it's really important that you do the work always because my last relationship, again, I started reverting back and the same things, it wasn't the same situation, but because my body experienced hurt or trauma, whatever the same way it happened again. And I was like, this is not, I need to keep doing this like every single day. And even when I was in therapy, when I walked in there after my narcissistic relationship and I went through, I think it was like 12 sessions and my therapist was just blown away by the work that I had done and how far I'd come. And I was like, girl, I'm going home every day. I'm doing all of your homework. I'm doing it a second time over. And if I just would have kept that up, like always, things happen the way they were happened, but I, I should have kept that up always, but I didn't. Right. And that's the thing. Therapy doesn't work if you only go for an hour a week, or if you only focus on it for an hour a week, you have to incorporate that into every facet of your life and change your actual, it will change your physiology, that vibration, that energy, that healing that you're doing, it will change your physiology. But the hardest thing that I found that I still do is I mold things in my head. Like when you mentioned that, go home and give your wife a hug. And if she doesn't accept it, do it again. That was something that I really struggled with. And I don't know if it's part trauma, part ADHD, part everything. But when I would get upset, that would stick for a long time. You know what I mean? And if like my recent ex-boyfriend, like if he came home and he tried to give me a hug, I'd be like, I don't want to hug right now. You know what I mean? And I'd be stuck in that mindset. And that comes from reverting back to the unhealed version of yourself, from not putting in the work in and not being like, you know what? I can't sit in these emotions like I used to. I need to actively break out of it because sitting in these emotions are what got me in messes in the first place. And that's one thing that I'm working on is that reflection response time rather than reaction time. Like when something happens and I get upset, I don't want to react to it. I want to be able to reflect and then respond. And right now that takes me maybe a day or so to get done. Like the next day I'll be like, oh man, okay, I get it. And hopefully as I heal, that reaction time will get smaller and smaller and I'll be able to do it like in real time in the moment. So that's something that I'm also working on is that whole with ADHD. Like I said, I feel that I feel it in my body, like not just in my brain. Oh, I'm angry. Like I, I'm angry. My skin is on fire. My, I'm tingling inside. You know what I mean? And that's something that I'm working on is changing that response time to being able to accept some kind of affection, even when I'm angry, because I know that heals, even though my brain tells me like, no, so that's the new thing that I'm working on feel you on that one like i can't get stuck in that mindset and stay angry or hold a grudge against someone so i find easy. when i do that like it's like at work like i remember my, the owner of the business we sat down and had a meeting i'm in sales and he sat down and he's like Tough. uh the way the world is right now the customer's always going to try and put us all against each other but we can't be against each other like they're going to try and pit Oh, said this. Meanwhile, you didn't say this. And then it's going to come back. So you're going to get mad at that other person <laughs> in the office and those types of things. We got to work together and stay on the same team. And and no, and I see it all too often in, in the workforce. Everyone's against one another that's in the same office. No, we're a team. We got to stay bro. together. Because if you, if you work against one another, it's never going to go well. So you got to always work together and as a team, even though you may not like that person or whatever. I go to work. <laughs> I remember a kid looking at me, a young guy, and he looked at me and I said, don't take this the wrong way. He said, you got any tips? He's brand new in the sales. I said, he sits right beside me and I says, I'll tell you right now, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm not here to make friends. I'm, I have lots of friends outside of this world. I'm here to, I'm here to work and that's it. And, and I'm here. And if you really want to do well in this business and in this industry, bring your lunch to work every day. You see all these people going out for lunch every day. I'm here from when I get here to when I go home sort of thing. I don't leave here. I may leave. Yes, I still smoke cigarettes and stuff. I go out for a smoke by myself, though. I don't go hanging out with 15 people outside. I do my own thing, and that's that. I'm not here to make friends, I told you him. You keep your head right. And he you looked at me. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that's fair. And you don't have to you be know, friends I've been with successful. everybody in the world. You don't have to. I've been like, successful because I put my head down and I do my work. I don't, I'm not here for social hour like some people are at lots of jobs. I'm here to work. Yeah. What are you doing? You know, that's what the are you doing? How are you job. doing over there? <laughs> exactly. And you know, that, that works with every relationship too. That's one thing that I really think about when it comes to relationships. Do I like this person? And do I love this person? And you may not always like the person that you're with. There are some days where you're like, oh my God, so angry at you right now. You know what I mean? But you still love that person and you like them for who they are as an individual, right? Would you be friends with this person outside the relationship? If your answer is a no, <laughs> then you need to reassess your relationship. Do you value this person? Do you think they're a good person? Do you admire them and do you care about them? And that is really key. And like I said, you don't have to always get along, but you always have to be on the same team. And exactly. that works with everything. And I think that's a really important lesson for people to take away for every aspect of their life is you don't, you're, you don't always have to get along, but you have to have each other's back. And, 100%. and I feel like that's really easy to let go of in relationships, especially when you come from something with trauma, you're very inclined to be like, I'm done. <sighs> I can't take it. I'm done. And that's when you have to like, nope, that is trauma. This is my person and I care about them and I love them and I respect them. And I'm going to fight that trauma and that trauma response and be on this team. And that's another lesson that I'm still learning is to actively recognize my trauma responses and to fight against them. Because if I don't try to actively recognize them, they will continue to take over and I won't even notice. And that's how insidious trauma is, right? And trauma is the, the root cause of everything, every affliction that we have. So I got one last question here, Eurasia, and I appreciate your honesty about trauma and stuff there. Supporting someone with, you know, CPTSD and helping them navigate toxic relationships can be very challenging for people. What advice can you offer to friends, family members, or partners who want to provide meaningful support and create a safe environment for individuals to heal and break free from this talk, their toxic relationship patterns? That is a very complicated one. People will, there, there are a lot of reasons. First, we have to understand why people stay in toxic relationships, right? So there's a multitude of reasons that people stay. If you're in an abusive relationship, you're staying because one, you're probably trauma bonded. And knowing the difference between like actually being in love and being trauma bonded is really important because a trauma bond is something where you have this cyclical paddle, pattern of abuse that mimics addiction in your brain and releases the same chemicals. And so you, you literally get addicted to this person, even though you know, everything is, there is not a single good thing, not a single good thing. You're still addicted. So that is the first thing that people need to understand when it comes to supporting people who are in these situations is that they probably have a physiological reason on top of a safety reason or a financial reason or emotional reason why they are unable to break. And the best thing you can do is to just listen. You also need to hold your boundaries because people in these kind of relationships will come to you with everything under the sun and complain about everything under the sun. And it'll be the same repeat every time. I know I've done it. I've gone to my friends and I've driven them mad. And you have to hold your boundaries with these people as well and be like, listen, I understand this is what you're going through. Do you notice that this is the same pattern? What can we do to move forward? Instead of allowing them to vent, 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 and you're then creating this circle that they're not getting themselves out of. So people who are going through trauma tend to repeat the same traumatic story and how they feel about it over and over again. And they get stuck in that loop. And that's when you need to break and be like, well, pause. <laughs> I see you're doing this lunatic circle. We know the problem. What can we do to move forward? What are we able to do? Maybe you can't leave, but what can we do different? Can we go out for walks together more often? You know what I mean? Can you want to go for coffee? You want to get away from the situation for a hot second? And then understand that these people may 
end up leaving when it is at that critical moment and no other time. And that may just be what it is. And it's very hard to support somebody who's going through that kind of trauma because it will drive you mad. <laughs> you know what I mean? But at the same time, people have so many reasons why they can't leave. I couldn't leave. I didn't, I, I was cut from my family. I, I wasn't speaking to my parents because of my ex. I lost a lot of friends because of, like I said, they tried to support me and I was just going with the same issues over and over again and nobody wanted to hear it anymore. He had all my money that he was holding. He wouldn't move out even though we had broken up. And it wasn't that we were trying to figure out, we're renting an apartment. So it's not like we were trying to set to figure out finances of a house or anything like that. It was, he just didn't want to go. And, you know, wanted to keep that control over what I did, where I went. So understanding that a lot of people may not leave. And that's just the nature of it. If people do leave, it's because it was a critical incident that happened that forced them to do. But in order to support these people, you have to hold your own boundaries, first of all. And let them know, like, when enough is enough. And let's move on from this conversation. Let's be solution-based. And also... They're going to do it when they need to do it. And there's nothing that you can say or that you can do that will push them in a direction. You can only suggest things like you said, like your parents were like, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. When you were going through your recovery, same thing. You can't push them to do it. You have to support them. And that takes a very special person, you know, and a lot of, not a lot of people will stick around for that kind of thing. And a lot of people have the patience or are healed enough to do that kind of thing. And a lot of people have the boundaries to be able to manage that kind of thing. But if you are that kind of person, those are some key things. You can't tell them what to do. They're not going to do it. When they're venting, make sure that you redirect the conversation so that they don't get stuck in that trauma loop. And understand that it's not easy to leave a relationship like that. In some cases, it's more dangerous to leave a relationship like that than it is to stay in it. Right? So that it's very complicated. And if you're not the kind of person that can support somebody through that kind of thing, know that about yourself as well. And that's okay if you can't do it. That's fine. You know what I mean? There will be somebody else who can. But if you're not the kind of person who can support, that's okay. Set that boundary. There's no shame in that. Thank you so much for giving those few good pointers. The one thing that stuck with the most was setting boundaries. It doesn't matter what you're doing in life. You always have to set boundaries with people. And like you said before, you know, if you, Use your communication skills like at the end there when you said if you don't feel you can support that person, let them know. Don't act like you can, but you really can't. Just say, hey, you know what? This really isn't for me. Maybe I can help you find someone that would be better, better based to help you out. Or maybe you could offer that support in that way if you don't feel comfortable enough supporting them in another way sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today, Eurasia. Before we go there, though, where can everyone find you if they want to find your book and buy it, listen to it, whatever the case may be? Where can they find you and drop those social medias? So my social media is at Eurasia.Duhame on Instagram. That is my author page. I also have TikTok at Eurasia Lee where I talk about trauma, ADHD, my journey through it. So if anybody wants to uh, join me on my journey, feel free. And you can buy my book on Amazon. It will also be available on Barnes and Noble and it comes in hardcover paperback and audio. And I really hope it helps somebody. I hope people learned a little bit from our conversation today, a different perspective. And my biggest, the one thing I want to leave people with is keep, keep making yourself uncomfortable in order to heal. Cause that's the only way you're going to progress in life. Thank you again. And I will also drop all those links in the show notes as well, everyone. I appreciate you coming on the show today, Eurasia, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you as well. Thanks for having me.